Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Provincial State of Mind with myself, Owen Harrison, Jeff Neville and Tom Savage. This is a podcast focusing on all four Irish provincial sides in both the URC and European competitions. We discuss what happened the previous weekend, what we can expect from each province in the upcoming games, as well as any major off-field news. Jeff, how's your week been? Well, my week's been great. No, yeah, I'm off work for the week. I was actually on a hen last weekend, which was some crack. Um, like, you know, when you see a hen on a night out, you go like, oh, God. I don't want, I can't handle this. It's literally the best crack I'd say I've had in a long, long time. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, gone swimming a couple of times now since, and you know, little jobs, clean the barbecue. Um, I'm having the kind of days that, do you know, at the end of the day and someone says like, Oh, do you remember that this morning? And you're like, Oh, that was only this morning. You're like, do you know, like the days are so long that they're they don't just feel like one day which is a good thing i believe um but i'm look at me well rested nourished um, hydrated hydrated moisturized, moisturized in my lane flourishing um <laughs> couldn't be happier it's nice to be on from the start as well uh, i went back and i listened to the intro of last week just to see what you said i was doing and to be honest watching avatar 2 was a bit of a disappointment like i thought you'd have more I thought I'd be embarrassed. Didn't didn't think about it until literally yeah. the second that yeah. it hit record. But you know what? I ended up watching Avatar 2. Is it good? <laughs> it you, actually is good. Would you recommend? I've heard I it's very would, far-fetched. I would I would recommend. <laughs> and I think I'm also in I think I'm also in such good form because I saw a grand total, if you're talking prof- or professional rugby, I saw a grand total of about 38 minutes of one game. So, Connor you know, Benetton, no, I'm in, actually, I'm in quite Jackson. good form too because I'm not going to be watching any rugby this weekend. <laughs> it's brilliant. You're not go- getting the James Cronin fan bus up to. I can't talk. I can't talk about that in the podcast. Yeah, Ixnay. Ixnay. Talk about that in the podcast. Ixnay on the bus. Sorry, I forgot we were recording. But yeah, I'm not going to watch any yeah, rugby are, are at all. Not, are you not traveling to beep on the beep, beep, beep? <laughs> But Jeno, I'm looking forward to it now. No rugby whatsoever. Because rugby only disappointed me last weekend. Well, it didn't disappoint me because I did, well, I watched half of one game. Um, so it didn't disappoint me. So I really nothing to add to this podcast tonight. I'm just here for the comic effect and the, the you know, I like it's I know I could, I, should, could people, I could feel Owen missed me last week. So they, they should people they should get people should guess what game you only saw 38 minutes of. Uh some people will guess because they know. Um, oh, okay. Right. Yeah. And it's the fact that when you start talking about every other game that happened, actually, no, I tell you, like, uh, last night I went back and I watched Leinster Ulster. But, you know, when you're watching it kind of. You're clipping through. Midfield rooks, you're like, nope, fuck that. Nope, fuck yeah. that. You're just kind of plus 15 seconds, plus 15 seconds. And then when something exciting is happening, you're like, oh, I'll go back that 15 seconds and see what happened there. So I watched it kind of like that. Um, it was a good the fifteen minutes it took me to watch. It was a great game. Um, but other than that, no, I'm 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 just flourishing. I did me time for Jeff. I did, I did nothing the last week. Nothing that I haven't done over the last couple of days or the last couple of podcasts. I threw out another giant nappy anaconda. My baby went for a fucking vaccine. Was very unhappy. Um, That's really tough, isn't it? It's horrible. You're, you're getting them in there and she's like she gutted it out with the with the actual injections fine 20 seconds of crying and then she was done 
then she started to kind of slowly get slowly more kind of pissed off as the day went on and she was kind of like she was a cut cat before the end of the day roaring crying and i was just like i hate this i hate this and uh but she eventually went to sleep and um the next day i was so rattled by how upset she'd been the previous day i let her sleep in me like like i was a big giant pillow for nearly two and a half hours i was just stuck there i was just like you know what you know what you stay there you sleep away there girl don't worry about it Uh, but then she's fine today that's it that's it just dad updates that's all i have now that's all i do i don't do anything nothing Owen's daughter uh, was fine during the vaccinations because when she saw the doctor coming towards her with the needle, she punched her right in the face, took the needle, gave her the vaccination. Yep. Said, yeah, gave her the vaccine. She's like, do hard. I have a therapeutic usage exemption for this? She put up fighting at the weekend. Put up her she two took fists. Out, she took after me. She hit him in the face. She <laughs> hit him in the balls. That's, 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 the, like, that, that's the ultimate technique. I love, I love her two fists. Vaccinate these. <laughs> what game are we doing first here? Because I haven't seen the running order. I won't have seen it, so it doesn't really bother me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that, like that's changed from any other week. Um, I just kind of like, we'll when, when can I kind of stall my disappointment and try to hide it for the the other couple of games and try to get across there's, ironic there's attachment? disappointment everywhere we look this week. Yeah. Um, and then start fans are like, what? <laughs> what? What wasn't it? Wasn't wasn't this a brilliant result for Leinster? It's like, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, 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 yeah it was. We're gonna get yeah, another. We're... we're gonna get another snotty little fucking reply on Spotify <laughs> about our transition here. Our podcast. transition. We're talking too too much negativity about Leinster. I can't stick it. <laughs> um, we we'll, we we'll kick off with the Sharks Monster game. Uh, Sharks won fifty points to thirty five. It was ooh, it was ugly. It's tough it, watching that now. I have nothing it, to add, so I'm just going to agree with everything you say. And I'm just going to throw in little comments like, "Yeah, yeah, it was." Yeah, because yeah, uh, again, like this is one of those early games. It was like a half twelve, so my routine was off from the start watching this game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it was. Just, yeah, yeah. I got the just being discombobulated watching it. And it feels like I wasn't the only one who was discombobulated uh, involved in this game. It was very, um, just super disappointing, I suppose. Just like as it, as it went on, it looked like Munster started well enough. Um, but that second half, those first 15 minutes of the second half were just like grim watching. Really grim. It was, it reminded me too much of, again, the pre Parky Queeve monster. In mm-hmm. that there were there were glimpses there of what might come in terms of attack, but the I thought the contact area, the rook work, it, it was it was just all off. They were second best in everything. The the sharks absolutely blew them away at the contact point. Monster couldn't cope. They they seemed to be looking they were playing to a pattern when it was quite clear that they probably needed to change things and add an extra player into the breakdown just to try and secure it at times. They, they made too many mistakes. Um, and 25 turnovers. Yeah. Yeah. How many? 25 turnovers. Um, And you look at like the breakdown was an obvious one, you know, like I think Graham Roundtree, after the game, and it makes a lot of sense, was saying about how they wanted Munster to stay in the breakdown a little bit longer 
so to stay active uh, a lot of like not a lot of times but important times during this game that Munster are a team who need a lot of rucks when we're playing there's a lot of passing um Munster passing off a lot which means that there's a lot of width between the previous rock and the next rock um the sharks and look we were doing that to move the sharks around to try and create lanes you know spacing with their heavy pack we were trying to do it that way um but when we were entering into contact like maybe maybe we won the collision maybe we didn't more often than not we didn't but like that, that wasn't always the case at the at the ruck though it was very difficult to cre- to create any sort of workable ball a lot of criticism of Craig Casey I've had the misfortune of watching this game back four or five times and like a lot of the time there's no workable ball to actually pass at that point because the Sharks are powdering guys they're throwing assets in there like they're rolling the dice they're trying to like they're like they are going to be narrow after that rook, but they're rolling the dice and thinking that well these guys can't live with us here physically, so that ball will be slow enough that it won't be usable, and that was the case. When Munster got quick ball, like the the first try, um for uh, Shane Daly, got on the outside really easily. All the rest of the time, too many mistakes, losing too many collisions, but losing too many like secondary collisions at the breakdown as well, where the sharks were just huge and colossal and monster are not at that level yet i think that was that like shown here like the physicality of the sharks mixed with the conditions mixed with monster just not being at the level that 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 we need to be at the moment that leads to a fairly disappointing result but even then that doesn't really fully explain how poorly that start of the second half went where monster's mall d was all over the place can i ask a question oh. you, you mentioned there was 25 sorry uh oh, and i didn't mean to jump across um you, you, you said there was 25 turnovers in the game. You don't, and this is a shot in the dark now, you would, but you don't have the time in possession for Munster by chance, do you? I don't have that stat, no. Uh, but Munster had yeah. less possession and less territory. Okay. It's just like 25, like when people hear like 25 turnovers, they might think, okay, 25 turnovers over 80 minutes. But ball and play time is now it depends on like how yeah. much how many minutes of, of possession did you actually have yeah yeah um that's, that's a still a lot it's it's a lot of turnovers because look Munster will pass the ball an awful lot almost more than any of the other Irish provinces really realistically you look at the amount of carries into contact Munster do relative to the number of passes it's Munster always have way more passes than they do carries into contact so you look at Munster's um Oh, Munster actually had 54% possession here and 55% territory. It was the opposite. Um, they had more territory in possession because I'm looking at the, at the site here. Sharks are in red and Munster are in grey, so that's why you got it wrong. Um, but yeah, Munster had more possession and more territory. So yeah, look, they're going to be passing more. There's going to be more errors, but yeah, 25 turnovers. And um, like Munster, I think this season, when Munster have lost games, only one of those games, I think it was the opening game of the season against Cardiff, um, all the rest of them that Munster lost, we had a higher, way higher, higher turnover rate than um, than the opposition. And that's consistent with the way that Munster are trying to play, which is like so radically different from last year. Like we kick the ball so infrequently now. Like I was looking at this game a couple of times and I was thinking, just kick the ball. But we're not doing that. And I think that part of it comes down to we don't have the stoppers physically in our front row to be able to play the same way that Leinster do, which is a heavy, they kick the ball to get it back, but they meet those forwards there. They meet them on the game line. 
on transition defense. We don't have guys to do that. And I think that affects our overall kicking strategy. And I think it affects our overall way of playing the game. And I think that this game against the Sharks exposed a lot of the issues that are there that aren't going to be fixed in one season, maybe even two seasons. Um, it's just going to show that there's a long road to go with this group getting to a stage where they can talk about maybe winning trophies. I, well, look, the, the, we've said for a long while the front row is, is the biggest problem. And John Ryan coming back is a stopgap. John Ryan is a developmental aid for the likes of Salanoa and Knox. Yeah. Right, he will plug holes. He will potentially step in and start the odd game against a much bigger pack to try and do something with the uh, the the scrum. Yeah, right? but John Ryan is again. He's not the ball carrying prop. He doesn't necessarily have that same sort of impact on it. But I think even with I ball think- carrying, I think you're looking at guys like: Can you have a super heavy impact at the breakdown, like Andrew Porter does? Or like Tyke Furlong does. Like Tyke Furlong doesn't necessarily carry the ball an awful lot anymore. But when he does, what, what what he does regularly in the game is nuke guys at the breakdown. Like Munster's front row. In this game anyway, look, and look, they're playing against a very big, heavy team. We're not able to get any sort of impact or purchase on the breakdown at all and struggle. They were sliding off poachers. They were didn't really have an impact, no pop in the in the clean out. Now, that, that was true with the entire team, but you need your front row. That one, being one of their main uh, go-tos is generating quick ball, and they did not here. But it's it's also when, when I when I talk about handling or, or sorry carrying, I'm talking about handling as well. You look mm-hmm. at the handling of Porter and Furlong, compare that to the likes of Ryan or even like Kilcoin. Kilcoin is much needed for Munster because he he adds bulk. He's an impact carrier. But the minute he gets the ball, it's head down straight into contact. Yeah, he had, he had, he had 10 carries uh, in this game and one pass. Yeah, and look, it's 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 telegraphed. Yeah. They're coming off it. And look, he, he he brings something to it, but it's not enough. And I think Scannell was was there. He did what he could. I mean, Scrum was still, like, he, he struggled. He struggled physically. Like, I mean, there's no other yeah. word for it. Like, I mean, there was one moment in the first half where the Sharks overthrew a um a lineout in their own territory and Thomas the Toy picked it up at the back of the lineout. Niall Scannell went to try and stop him and um fell off the tackle. Like just the toy just shrugged him off and ran through him. And he ran through Kilcoin also. Like physically these guys are giving up an awful lot. And like it's not even about them. Do you know? Like they're like they're good players. They're guys who like they like they fulfill a role. But when it comes to a game like this against an opposition this big and this physical, and this is always the case once you start getting to the upper echelons of any tournament, um, you're going to need guys who can impact at the breakdown, especially with the way Munster play. And a lot of these guys don't when it comes to getting rid of guys like Vincent, Vincent uh, uh, Shitsuka, uh, Thomas Tatoy, Bongi Monambi, even Estebet. These are just massive, physically imposing power athletes and Munster struggle to get them off the ball. And, um, you know, I think that's something where Going forward, look, I think Munster do need guys of that profile in there. And, you know, it's it's easier said than done, you know, like getting well, dispensation to sign a guy like that. It's very, very difficult, especially when you've got guys like Lockman who might be on the edge of the Irish bubble, we'll say. That prevents you from signing a loose head unless you can pr- pr- 
present a really good case as to why you shouldn't. Well, I mean, I would say there, there's, I'm not aware of anyone coming through in the monster in the monster team and even at sort of underage that is going to provide that sort of a profile of a player for the front row that we know about at the moment. Looking at Darren McSweeney being a guy, AIL, he's a big physical guy. I think he could work in that way, but again, unproven. Like you can't look at these guys and say, look, that they're a sure thing because there's so much, there's so many things that can go wrong for a young guy coming up. We've seen that a monster over the years, you know, but like that was the big, my big takeaway from it is that we need more power athletes in the front row. And my idea that we might be able to mitigate against that by having a, a really big second row, that only works if you've got full 80 minute super heavyweight power there and we don't. And I think that's just the, the long and short of it right now. Um, but yeah, very disappointing. And I think that like Monster in particular would be disappointed, not necessarily that they lost because it was a tough ask anyway, but to lose in the manner that they did, having been so close at halftime, would be particularly disappointing, I would say. Yeah, and look, I, I, I do think that, I said it last week, I, I still think there is something in it in terms of Munster's in-season conditioning playing a factor in their, I suppose, recent performances. Because things have changed recently. It's dropped back, as we've said. It's the same thing, I think, when they were doing those heavy sessions at the start of the season and we saw those performances where guys didn't have the pop, they didn't have the impact at the breakdown. I think that might be taking its effect now. That's my hope that you get to it because when Munster actually got the ball and went through some of the phases, got their patterns going, if they got to the edge, they were causing an awful lot of problems by the because of, as you explained there so well, Tom, the way the, sh- the Sharks were defending. They were putting guys into the breakdown. And if Munster could get usable ball quickly away from that, they were punishing them out wide once they got to the edge. For me, that's a big thing, and I'll come back to it a little bit more when we talk about the Ulster game, Leinster game later on. Munster, I think, realise they can't go toe-to-toe with the likes of a Leinster anymore. That happened under Van Gran and everything. They tried well, to play specific ways. You, 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 you can't get you can't. at them like for like, you know, yeah, you physically. Can't. And I think that like so, we, we spoke about the breakdown. Like in the first half in particular, you'd see it where guys like Niall Scannell or maybe Dave Kilcoyne or someone like that would be trying to hold off a counter ruck against one or you know two guys going really, really hard. We needed those guys in the line. We didn't need them in mm-hmm. the breakdown. We needed those fellas as passing options so we could start getting our depth and our layers running. When it worked, created opportunities. But any mistakes there, they kill you because like the scrum was always going to be an issue. Lineout Mall was a, 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 like a disaster, I would say, for, the, for the, the, the important parts of the game. And then, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where we are trying to approach things different, differently, but man, it's going to take time for it to land properly, I think. Yeah, and I think the fact that they're trying to do something different leads to the fact that they, they might get somewhere with it. But it's, I think, because I think if you try and copy what Leinster are doing, what the other teams are doing without having the same physical athletes to do it or better physical athletes, you know, I think you're doomed for failure on it. I think so that this it. is true up and down when it comes to comparisons against Leinster. Cannot do it like for like, have to find, try and find your own way. And I think the Munster are trying to do that, but it's going to take time. I think that was very clear uh, on, on Saturday, but yeah, disappointing. Yeah. And, and by the way, like on Twitter after the game, you know, when you open your, 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 your Twitter on your phone and the first thing you see is 
you're getting a lot of replies. Do you want to try and filter these? <laughs> it's like, oh no. So do you know what I did? I, was I, put the, I, I put the phone back down. <laughs> I put the phone down. Not, not today, internet. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, do you know what? I'm not going to post through this. <laughs> And the other monster news this week, uh, or today, I think it was Wednesday, it was uh, Dan Goggin was announced as leaving. He appears to be heading to, I think it's Australia, same as um, James French, isn't it? Yeah, I think Keane uh, Tracy in the end, saying that, that they were, um, yeah. he's off to this play Shoot Shield Rugby, which Declan Moore played before coming up here. Um, yeah, it, like, it's kind of, it was inevitable. I'm surprised it's been done kind of mid season, even though it's the end of the season, really. Um, but he, he hasn't really played for Munster outside the early going to the season. He's been playing a lot of AIL. Um, and for a fully professional guy like that, that can't really continue. So not surprised. I'm, I'm pleased for him. Like, I oh, mean, yeah. he, play, he played rounds two to six. And since... He played well, to be fair. Since the sixth round, he's only played 20 minutes and that was in round 12. So, I mean, go get game time. Like... Yeah. That's what you want guys Long and short of it Yeah You want guys to be like As in Well you're not playing Well Go play Go go then Go play Like as in Short enough career And um, gets to play in Australia For a while If if that is true Fair play to him More power to him Moving on then To With the next game then Which was Benetton Connacht Um, Benetton won 41-19 Ended up It looked Very impressive they did. They did. Connacht started well in this. They were what twelve? Was it twelve nil up or was it twelve five or twelve seven? I can't remember anyway. But certainly Connacht had started well. They they made a couple of line breaks. But once Benetton started getting through their phases and started attacking on the edge, they're playing in a similar style almost to not surprisingly to how Italy are doing. You look at that sort of sort of cohesion that they've they've brought from the sort of um, the URC into the Six Nations. They're playing some lovely rugby. I'm a huge fan of uh, what you call Brex. Yeah, uh, Brex is some player. Like Oh, absolute class. Watch it, like I watched bits and pieces of this game back, skimmed through it, but I just saw so many, so many like really high quality possessions by Benetton. And like, I just felt it would be closer, but like Benetton at home, I think we saw that when Munster played there relatively recently, and this was against a, a rotated enough Benetton side. They are very good, and I think they've got a real shot at looking to win that Challenge Cup this year. They've got quality. They've got like they've got depth. You know, they've got like they've got very very good players there. You know, I, I think that they're going to be a real landmine for teams going out the rest of the season. And this game will show you why. Like they were just so good, and kind of couldn't really live with them when it came to it. I got I got this one totally wrong. I I thought Connacht would win this, and you know the whole, I suppose Italy side of things as the main reason. But again, I didn't see the game. I saw maybe I don't know six seven clips of it. Like they scored one set piece try where they came they whatever they played out our first phase. They came back in, and then those involved in that first phase getting off the deck just folded around really well, and um, back line let's say kept their hip square and just executed a four on three. Uh, it, was an, it was a beautiful score. Absolutely lovely score. And again, just really good rugby IQ to recognise that the fold had gone heavy the far side and weren't recognising those lads coming back. Um, they also ran, I don't know if you noticed it, uh, 
the kick return that oh, the, the, and Keenan the pass back in. Yeah, the, um, just really good. Like, and again, I I only saw maybe five six clips of the game. I didn't see much. Like, I I didn't even see a highlight package. Um, I, I've just been up the walls all week. But just what I did see again. You're just kind of looking at it like I had Connacht to do very well in the Challenge Cup. I was like, you know what? They could really, really go far and really, pardon the pun, but challenge for it. But Benetton just turned around and said, well, no, no, thank you. Um, I just played really good, smart rugby, um, really quick rugby. And like we, I well, I don't know about you, um, maybe it's a narrative that I've bought into or maybe I see it wrong, but like I see Connacht as a quick playing team. Like they play quick, good rugby, but Benetton played really quick and really good rugby. So I was, I was, I was surprised. Um, I suppose by the scoreline, but just from the clips I've seen, it was very impressive. It well, I think the well, two things to stand that. Number one, I what I liked about Benetton from their attacking point of view was the ability to stack the um attack on one side and then just fold around late and look for the gaps there. Some of the tries that they scored off that was just phenomenal. And the other thing both you talked about was Benetton potentially being a winner for the um uh what you call it, for the challenge cup. The reality is they well number one they are but this the second point is if they do win that there is the likelihood that they could or the possibility that they could win the challenge cup and not finish in the top eight of the URC, which, which would means mean top six. Top six would only qualify for the Champions Cup. Wouldn't that be mental? And if the winner of the URC did happen to come from seventh or eighth place, it would be only the top, top five, five. Yeah, would qualify for it as well. It's so, <laughs> nightmare mode. <laughs> that is <Thank> nightmare mode. <laughs> And like for for Connacht, <laughs> just going back to the, the other thing, for Connacht, this game wasn't wasn't necessary. Or say their Challenge Cup wasn't lost on um, the Newcastle Saturday. game. Their Challenge Cup, the Newcastle game yeah. cost them. If you look, uh, I I don't know for the Challenge Cup, but I think all the Champions Cup games were won by the home team. I don't think there was even one away win, was there? Don't think so. So all the home teams won, and uh, and Connacht, Connacht uh, I don't I don't know what it was for the Challenge Cup, but Connacht lost out on a home game, basically from from that Newcastle game. Didn't they, they rotate ro- for that game? A rotated game, yeah. a rotated yeah. team. Yeah, yeah, yeah tough. That's one. that's what's going to come back to haunt them. I think. It's like I mean, come back to haunt them. Any 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 draw that kind of sends you to the Stadio Manigo at the moment. That is not an easy game, especially if Benetton are fully loaded for it. That's tricky as they come. And we saw it with Ulster as well. Sticky out, Munster. Sticky out, Connacht headed over. Sticky out. That's my input for the rest of the game. Sticky, sticky out. Sticky. Jeez, the more you actually say sticky out in your head, it just it just sounds like nonsense. Sticky well, out. I, di- I didn't mean sticky out as in something's poking out. I mean I know, out, and out, out and out stickiness. Sticky I suppose out. is what I meant. I should I should phrase <laughs> that differently to avoid any confusion. Out and out stickiness. But I don't like that because it sounds too educated. Out and out stickiness rather than sticky out. Out and out stickiness. That this sounds like something happens. you might hear in BT. This is what happens when I'm in my lane, you know. These you're just thoughts. you're you're I too just hydrated. Tongue, 
I just have time for these thoughts, you know? You're too moisturized. The mic is slipping out of your hand. <laughs> <laughs> Moving swiftly on. Um, well, well, I'm going to take it up with Connick now because I believe they're about to um, announce more contract renewals, but they're going to do it on Thursday, Friday. So fuck Connick. That's of no um, use to us. Yeah, exactly. Fuck. They had a few last week, didn't they? Um. Yeah. Was it Paul Boyle and a couple of others? I'm. I'm not even going to talk about it because they do it on a Thursday and a Friday now. <laughs> Just out of, out of badness, no, deliberately. Yeah. yeah. Screw them. I think kind of now though, having jumped up to sixth in the URC, don't have to worry and not having to worry about Europe anymore. Like I would rather they were playing on both fronts still, and um, because I did feel that they were on a good road for a, a Challenge Cup title, but. I think now when you look at the last two rounds, and I know we'll probably talk about this next week, but when you look at the last couple of rounds of the URC, what they need to do, like they've Cardiff and Glasgow, I believe Glasgow's away. Like even Cardiff are intent and they're still chasing like 14 teams. Am I right in saying that? 14 teams are chasing to finish top eight. Yeah. Still like, so I mean, it mightn't be the worst thing in the world for for. Connacht if they're just folks not finishing you know top six top seven um well I it, it, it could be a case that it's between Connacht and Munster yeah um do for you, who gets the last automatic Champions Cup place depending think, depending on how sort of um positions finish up how do you think Connacht would fare though depth wise if they had to balance both competitions going into the business end They'd have to pick and choose. Um, yeah. I think they would too, like. For this season, is it or next season? This this season, like. Well, this this season, I don't know. They've like they've got Cardiff. I can't remember whether it's Cardiff away or it's, it's Cardiff, 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 Cardiff home, Glasgow away. Cardiff at home. That's a game I think if they win that, they're in a really good position because potentially if Glasgow win their next game they may have a home quarter final guaranteed and be able to rest up for their final game. Yeah. 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 You're not wrong. You Jesus, know, actually I, that would, that would be a huge favor, wouldn't it? Exactly. So there, there's lots, there's lots to sort of take into account that you won't, or sorry, lots that we'll be unable to take into account until you get into that final round. But, you know, it's not necessarily looking at, um, you know, fully loaded teams in the last, in the last game, it could be a case where you have um, what you call it, player uh, teams automatically qualified and waiting for um, waiting to rest players, as Leinster did last year when they sent the the sort of the development squad down to South Africa. But if Munster, you mentioned Munster there, Munster, Munster needs seven points to pull away from Cardiff in the next two rounds. Uh, Cardiff, Cardiff. Cardiff, or sorry, they need Jesus Christ. I'm too relaxed. Munster need seven points in South Africa to pull away from Connacht. So Connacht, between having Cardiff at home, Glasgow only needed one win, and Munster playing in South Africa, like a lot of things are kind of aligning for Connacht in that respect. There. Yeah, I think there's the very real possibility that Connacht could finish ahead of Munster. I think. For Munster, they will have to beat, I think, the Sharks 
in the second game of their South African tour because that's taking points away from someone else, from another competitor, trying to get those final sort of few spots. I think that's going to be the key one. Just to cut back in, Um, Glasgow can still finish second if Stormers lose a game. Would Ulster have a a, a kind enough, I think, finish? if, if If Ulster fail to win both their last two games and the Stormers fail to win one and Glasgow take uh, 10 points and they have Scarlets and Connacht both at home, they could finish second. Now, there's a lot of maths in there, I know, and there's a lot of permutations. But, I mean, I just mean, like, if it's a case the Stormers or Ulster drop that first game and Glasgow win, suddenly they're heading to Connacht with a chance of a home home semi-final if they get that far. So, yeah. Look, there's other things to take into account as well because you have the the Stormers going to uh, Exeter. Where are they going? Exeter. Exeter. They're, yeah. they're traveling and have had delays this week. They have to come back. You have the Sharks going to Toulouse again and traveling back. So you're going they... like Sharks are playing Toulouse, which is going to be a Heavy. fucking slugfest. Out, <laughs> out, out and out stickiness. <laughs> My God. These two fucking humongous teams just beating the shit out of each other. Like, I don't want to see your fucking... I don't want to see your fucking like tries from the end of the earth. Like I don't want to see massive offloading scores or running rugby. I want to see two of these fucking packs beating the shit out of each other. That's what I want to see. But you look at the the schedule for both the Stormers and the and the Sharks. It has potential to benefit Munster, which updates and and causes problems elsewhere in that mosh pit in the URC. Yeah, which which is as as you said, Jeff. I think it's like fourteen teams trying for eight places, and then there's probably only maybe six or seven max. I would imagine that will will actually get for the the Champions Cup. Um, it's a brilliant place to be in for the next couple of weeks. Um, we we'll move on then to the uh, Leinster Ulster game. Leinster won thirty points to fifteen. Boo. Um, <laughs> Boring. I know. Oh, Jesus, it's not even worth talking about anymore, is it? Um, no, I mean, look, Leinster absolutely kicked Ulster to death. It was, for me, it was just tactically a masterclass. Conditions, the whole lot. Leinster kicked long. Ulster tried to run it back as much as they could. Leinster shut them down and Ulster couldn't play in the right areas that they wanted to. I know I watched this game a bit on fast forward. But there was a number of things that I think Leinster did really well. Um, and one of them was kind of un-Leinster-like, and I'll get to that in a second. But their Maldi for the vast majority was very good and shut down Ulster's Maul. I know Ulster scored a Maul uh, in that third quarter in around the 50-odd minute, but they did shut it down really well. But you mentioned the kicking already, just found grass, pumped it deep. Enjoy that. Best of luck. Um, but there was there was two things that really stood out to me. One was, I don't know how often it happened, but I certainly saw it happen a lot. Was we, we like, you know, that Leinster like to be on their feet at ruck time. Don't commit guys, whatever. Stand out, just defend, etc. But it seemed to me like they were hitting an awful lot of defensive rucks just to slow shit down that small bit more. And just the conditions like, very effective. Oh, it was really good. And it, it happened off one, especially I remember it was near enough the very start of the game, and Doak ended up boxing it. But 
I mean, you're talking six, seven, eight second rooks like at times. And you're just kind of like, this is what you want. Like cheese that game, slow it right down, force them to be uncomfortable. Yeah, that the kicking game they had, I felt it was very good. But probably the other thing that I noticed that really stood out to me was Ulster went 3-0 up through a penalty. And after restart, straight away conceded a penalty that they kicked, and that's 3 all. Then right. Ulster scored a try through Hume in the corner. Lovely try, don't get me wrong. But off that restart, um, failed to clear it really effectively. Leinster ran it back and won a kickable penalty. Essentially, not straight away off the restart, but pretty much, you know, not long after it. No. Don't get me wrong, Leinster missed that kickable penalty, so it stayed um, it stayed 8-3. But, I mean, that could have very easily been 8-6. So you're talking working incredibly hard. Was it like 10 minutes in or something, Ulster kicked that first penalty? Working really, really hard to get a penalty. Uh, working really hard to get a try. And, you know, they coughed up three points straight away off the first one and very nearly made it a two-score game. Like, Leinster didn't have to do much for a couple of their scores. They just had to really put... Um, Ulster kind of under the gun and let them make their own mistake and then kind of just capitalise on it. Like you look at that Jemison Gibson Park try that he just scooted in. I mean... You look at the, the, like the, just the bad luck though for, oh, for Ulster at that moment as well. I know, I know, I know. <clears> but like, you you know, you're, you're kind of looking at it like all, all it needed was that half second, second pause of what's happening here. Like you just need to blitz that ball like and really put that ball carrier under pressure. And instead, Jemison Gibson Park looks up and he's like, scoot, scoot. In I go. Happy days, five points. Like, there's a couple of moments. I, I, I felt that yellow card for, Hume's, for Hume was a bit unf- unfair to me. That looked a little bit off. What did he do again? He was pinged for he, he, uh, something at the breakdown, wasn't it? Uh, he, like there was he, was, 50, he was deemed there was to be part penalties. of the tackle and didn't release, is, is what the ref called Yeah, him. I thought that was a bit unfair. In the moment, no one also well, should have had a yellow card before that. But well, um, yeah, well, if you listen to Jamie, he slipped at halftime on RTE. He definitely thought they should have had a yellow <laughs> definitely card. felt it. He was quite insistent. That's actually <laughs> another. Know. That's another clip I saw of the game. Was that you sending that on? He was very unhappy. He was raging. <laughs> and if, if just in case any of our listeners have that, if you can go back and watch it on RTE. See Stephen Ferris's face when Jamie Heaslip is talking about it. The smile on it is like a <laughs> cat. It is unreal. But that's another that's another side of the coin, though. I mean, you, you look at those kind of couple of coach killers, etc. You look at how Leinster just kicked the letter off the ball, found grass every time, put pressure on clearance kicks. 15 penalties against Leinster on a non-rainy day is going to have you in massive trouble. Yeah. Like, but at the same time, how much pressure did Leinster put on Ulster to concede those penalties too? You know, it is it's a it's a double edged sword there. But um, I'm pretty sure that's what that phrase means. But it is. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just I, I have I a thought what, I thought what Ulster did well. They they did it for the the try because we we've talked about Leinster's kicking game and Leinster Leinster kicked very long, tried to find grass and just kick as deep as they could. And they expected the likes of Lowry and Balakoon and Stockdale to carry it back. And what Leinster almost, what Leinster wants you to do is kick long to them again. 
so that they can try and sort of set up a situation that they can either transition, counterattack, or continue to pump you back into your own thing. Where where else they've got some leeway out of it is they put in what I call like a mid-kick that was a contestable ball. Because Leinster have guys who are doing the full line chase and they have the guys sitting deep to try and take the ball back to kick it again, to go for the next kick. If you can find that sweet spot in the middle, contest and win it, Leinster can be broken open quite easily. But getting the players and the fitness and getting that right is such a hard thing to do. And the few times that um, Ulster were able to do it, they were able to actually get Leinster um, completely disorganised defensively and um, sort of capitalise on that. And I think that's the one thing that the likes of um, Leicester will look to do. Again, Leicester are another team who love to kick. I don't yeah. think they necessarily have the, the power, but they're, they're not going to be shy about getting into a kicking game. And they have their own strategy around that. And I think it'll be really interesting to see how the two of those play out. One thing I really like about Leinster's game at the moment is, is that it's got no fall downs. What I mean by that is, is that if you want to play a kick pressure game like South Africa played in the World Cup in 2019, you have to have a good scrum. You have to have a good lineout. If you don't, you've only got half a game plan. You can't play it. You like as in your you 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 like you're you're not going to be able to control like the the four areas of the game where you need to control. Leinster's kicking game basically plays into all of their strengths. They've got a lot of guys in their back line. They've got big, long, accurate boots on them. They've got really athletic uh, pack who can get up there on transition defense, powder you when you run back. Their midfield is the same. They smash you. You're playing on the back foot. You kick it back to them. They've got a couple of transition schemes they can run off, but if they, you know, if they don't feel it, they'll boot it long again. And you're running backwards. You're chasing a bouncing ball. You've got a guy in your back. You kick a hurry kick into the crowd. Where would it fall down for Leinster then? If they didn't have a good lineout, they have a good lineout. They have a good mall. They catch you every which way. The only weakness would be if they were started getting called penalties in the scrum, but that's not happening anymore. So they are an incredibly formidable team to look at, especially in a game like this, where it felt that Ulster at times kind of had nowhere to go. Like they just were just consistently phase play. Leinster would have it and almost kind of mirror it back at them. And they were constantly under pressure because of their own possessions. Um, Very, very impressive. And um, I think the team who's going to beat him this year will have to have levels of kick quality, uh, transition attack and elite level physicality to even get around, to have a look, to have a chance at, at, at beating this team at the moment. You mentioned Leinster's yeah. line out there. It is pound for pound, probably my favorite line out to watch at the moment, like all season. It is just excellent. And everything they do, every way they run it, like even even there, there the last day, I think I actually tweeted it. I was watching the, the Ulster game back there last night and uh, like Leinster love a mall feint. They love playing off that mall feint kind of role. But there against Ulster, they went off the top in one of their lineouts. And I was like, oh, that's different. Like you just don't see it that often. And I think even Ulster were caught unawares because they set up to defend that resulting mall that never appeared. And, um, you know, suddenly... 
suddenly that ball's gone and, and phase moves. So like Leinster's line out is quality. Uh to to disrupt it will take quite a bit of work, I think. Like I think you, you've got to have such a beat Leinster. You're going to have to you're going to have to get them in the tight. You're going to have to hit them in the mall. You're going to have to hit them in the scrum. And as as you said, it's you're going to have to be very patient and have a very strategic kicking game to do it. And drag their line out completion down, down to around eighty five. Way, way down, maybe way down. down around 85 percent. You've got a chance then. Is um do you th- do you think there's an awful lot of pressure on Ross Byrne now, not only in upcoming games at the business end of the season, but also to stay fit. Yeah, like mm. I think in this game with the conditions, he did what he had to do well. I think when we'll see a like I won't say a real challenge or kind of a oh, goalpost moving for Ross Byrne. Great, he had a decent performance here against Ulster, no doubt about it. Oh, he did, he did, he did. Sorry, I'm not saying that. I oh no, I know, I know, I know. I'm, I'm, just, for, for, I'm I, I was saying it. <laughs> what I'm saying is that, like, no, that, I'll, I'll say it. But when it comes to um, for the rest of the season, like the big games that are coming up for Leinster. That's the ones where, like you'd say, there's pressure on him to stay fit because he's he's the guy now. This is his opportunity to be the guy. Like never, I think, has he had such a run for like basically from the end of the Six Nations on where he is the guy at Leinster. So there's pressure there to stay fit and to show that you can be that fella going forward. Um, but uh, it's the it's the hard ground, the you know the big the big pack, the hard ground. That's around, it's going to be a big big challenge for his game. And if he keeps moving through the the gears, who's to say does that there has to be a problem for Leinster after Sexton? Well, so he, I, I, looking, I I looked at that game and I looked back at it and I thought effectively Byrne and um Billy Burns were effectively both passengers in that. Like you, you looked at it, you know, they were playing the conditions and they were doing what they needed to be, but when I was watching Ross Byrne, I was reminded of him versus England in Twickenham, whatever it was, three or four years ago. He was standing sort of 10, 15 yards deep in the pocket, shipping it on. He wasn't doing an awful lot with that ball. They When when Leinster actually wanted to move the ball wide, they were getting the wingers to come in and take it as first receiver. Um, and then having sort of Gibson Park uh, loop around and having Ross take it in midfield where he would actually have time and no one coming coming on to him to, to sort of to put pressure on. There, he didn't do an awful lot. He didn't do an awful lot wrong, but he didn't do a huge amount to influence that game either. You know, I, I think it was a lot, a lot more of that was down to the strategic kicking and the likes of um, uh, low, et cetera, on it. Um, and from that point of view, it was, a, it was an armchair ride because the forwards, the forwards had that. They... They didn't really lose many battles in in the in the collisions. They didn't lose the game line. They had it, and he was sitting so far back that he he had his armchair right there. Especially in especially in the west, as you said, that Leinster team clamped them like yeah, and clamped down them. the The real question, it mark for for Ross Byrne will always become when when it's when it's there and there is a close to parity between the packs. Can he then do enough to influence and win the game, step up to win the game? It's not that he didn't lose the game for Leinster. It's can he step up and win the game as as someone like Sexton would have and has done in the past. 
And I think that's still the question mark for him to answer. Yeah, it would be for me also. But I think that what an opportunity it is for him to answer these questions for the run-in. Like, really is, like, as in he can move himself into an entirely different conversation over the next couple of weeks and months. It's going to be very interesting. Totally. Um, then outside of that, then the contract news um, for Ulster, they have announced everything. Uh, pretty much every player on their, <laughs> on their books has got a new contract this week. Um, I think I even got a contract. Did, 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 did you sign your contract with them yet? Yeah, I signed mine. Did you not sign yours? <laughs> No, because I, I think Dan McFarland might beat the shit out of me. I think it's a trap. <laughs> yours, yours has a clause in it. Tom is not allowed to fight Dan McFarland at any point. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like they're 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 doing a lot of business. Yours has that clause. Mine has. Jeff is not allowed to follow Nick Timoney around. <laughs> Jeff can never room with Nick Timoney on away trips. <laughs> <laughs> And Owens is like, Owen is not allowed to drink hot coffee near any disgruntled fans. Or any any, any young academy players he may mistake for those who work for him. <laughs> I, I'll, have, I'll have you know that I am going on training in about a week and a half, two weeks time for uh, my coffee throwing. Oh, good. Good, because like his injuries, there's too many. You're going on training, or you're being reprimanded because they are two very different things. <laughs> there's there's too much collateral damage, so you're gonna have to work on the accuracy. Owen throws. No, no, I'm, I'm going Owen, on training. Owen throws coffee so well that even yeah. HR want to see it. <laughs> Only specifically those who have wronged you, not innocent workers who are just trying to do their best. <laughs> Um, Jeez, yeah, I'm, I'm going there. to work on my accuracy. Um, oh, well, actually, the, the other thing that we do need to talk to in terms of uh, Ulster is uh, Jordy Murphy announced his retirement at the end of the season. Um, good player. He's. It didn't really. Very, I won't say very good player. I won't, I won't say it didn't work for him after he left Leinster, um, because he had a few injuries. To be fair, but you look at that middle stretch of the decade there with Jordy Murphy. He was a bloody good player for Leinster. Um, got a lot of Ireland caps, played in some big games. Um, a really well-balanced player. Like, you know, you, he did a bit of everything. Like he, good line-out jumper, both sides of the ball. He could maul it. Um, he was a good handler, good ball carrier. Good player. And I think that, I think injuries, like they do with a lot of players, took a lot out of him. Um, but had a fucking good career, I would say. Won a lot of silverware. Want to go, but yeah, yeah, top player. I think, was yeah. it? Was um, it? Sorry, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Wait, sorry, I think my internet's going there. Um, so sorry if I'm cutting across people. Well, it's because your, 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 your video isn't on, so like we don't know what you're doing there. <laughs> <laughs> What's he up to, that guy? I'm just eat, eating cereal and I'm responding between bites. Um, <laughs> Was it was it a knee injury he got against New Zealand? Yeah, um, ACL. I think that, it was. Yeah, like up and around that time, like he was pretty untouchable. Like he was real top quality. Um, and would I be right in saying that kind of started off a bad run of injuries, kind of a thing? Um, I'm trying to remember now, so long ago, but 
in around that time, yeah, he was just quality, utter quality. And I remember when he signed for Ulster, I was like, that is a big name for Ulster. Like that, he was top of his game, like, you know. He, more he, he actually played the majority of the run-in for Leinster that year, I think. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And I'm pretty sure did his last Irish caps come just before joining Ulster? Am I, I think, I think saying that again? just, I think yeah. just after. Or is it, he was he was technically an, an Ulster player at that point, I think. In around that time, anyway. Um, but he was just like again top of his game. It's just a shame, like it's just a shame, I suppose, it didn't work out in Ulster to the same extent that um it did in Leinster for him. But I suppose there's more than he he's not the only one to blame for that, don't get me wrong. Moving on then to uh Leinster against Leicester. Um, Who are you supporting? Leicester have. <laughs> I'm 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 supporting the James Cronin bus. The, the um, do you know what? I just hope that both teams have a good time. I hope, hope everyone enjoys teams. themselves. Rugby is the real winner. <laughs> as long as we can all have rugby values. Rugby as long as values. we can all have a beer after the game, and be friends, then we're the we're we're the real winners. Then. I can't wait for Twitter on Friday night, though. It's I'm, always, it's always you know what? If I can be bothered going online, I'm not going. Probably not going to watch this game. <laughs> then, because it's Good Friday, by the way. It's going to be Great Friday, man. It's going to be Great Friday. Great Friday. <laughs> it's going to be, <laughs> going to be great. Dees Friday. <laughs> it's going to be Great Friday, dude. But yeah, no, it's um, yeah. Look, I, I think that's. Leicester have the potential to be a sticky enough game for Leinster. Nice These are two very similar names. For I was like, why is sticky in my head? It's like it's that Jeff Neville guy. Is that him? You're it's welcome. That, is that Lucid guy? But sticky stuff in my brain. <laughs> um, you look at you look at Leinster and Leicester. I, I think it comes down to how long can Leicester make this tricky for Leinster. How long can they do it? Well, you talked about a kicking game, putting Leinster under real pressure. Andre Pollard will probably do that. As will Freddie Stewart. They will just, yeah. any ball they get back. If that ball goes to Andre Pollard, do you think? You think Andre is running that back? <laughs> no. <laughs> you think he's getting ready to go? I'm about, oh. to, I'm about to evade some defenders here. <laughs> Watch this. <laughs> Andre, Andre Fallard has the exact same willpower and sort of enthusiasm of running the length of the pitch to chase the ball he has just kicked or even to run with the ball <laughs> under his arm that I do. Right? Yeah, that's that's like, not I am kicking this ball. And then you know what I'm going then? I'm going back here. And there, I, I'm just step back about 10 again. yards, lads. You go chase that. I'll wait here. I think with Freddie Stewart there, um, they look to mop up Leinster's counter-transition starter kicks and return them with interest. And I think that Leicester will back themselves in the scrum and in the defensive line-out to hurt Leinster in those areas of the game. Whether that will be enough, whether they'll be able to, when Leinster then inevitably start playing very, very tight, start rolling through phases off nine, if Leicester can get big stops on them there, and force them to use Ross Byrne as a you know as, as an active 
playmaker here, phase for phase. Leicester might fancy their chances. I can't see it going. I can't see it going longer than 60, 65 minutes before Leinster ultimately, ultimately pull away here. I think it comes down to that, though. How well can Leicester match up with um, Leinster under the high ball? I think Leinster will, will go back to that, the contestable, if they're not getting the returns they want out of Stewart and out of Pollard. And then it comes down to, I think, physicality. Do Leicester have the power to live with Leinster when Leinster will roll the dice and go real tight, real quick? That's going to be the question. I, I, I don't think, think they will, by the way. I think, <laughs> I think Leicester, Leicester, Leicester have. I think Leicester will will have the tools to hurt Leinster at specific points. They won't have the depth or the quality to do it overall and for long enough. And I think eventually you're going to see the difference between having a salary cap versus having a province that is supplying pretty much the entire Irish team. And that quality will tell at the end of it. And I fully expect Leinster to win this by 15 to 20 points. That's a big number. I think it's going to be a Leinster win. I think both back rows are going to be working their tails off to make sure that their own ball is not being spoiled slash the opposition ball is being ruined. Um, I think we're going to see so many heavy carries. Um, and I'm a bit like that Sharks to lose game that Tom referenced earlier. I think we are going to see an awful lot of heavy carrying at the same time. So I'm very excited for that. I just I just think Leinster will be Leinster. I mean, how can you say a team that's undefeated so far this season is going to lose? I mean, it's, you know, David and Goliath was a once off. The smart money is always on the giant. Yeah, I, I think this game is going to be ugly. I think it's going to be lots of kicking, <laughs> quite a bit of heavy carrying. And if maybe if Tigers get their way a bit, you know, good few set pieces, I don't think it's necessarily going to be a pretty game or a nice game to watch for the neutral. But yeah, it's hard to see outside of a Leinster win. Yeah, look, I think um, Leicester will have taken a lot from what England did well against. Um, Ireland and the Six Nations and try to apply some of that here um, and I think maybe just play even more conservatively I'm not sure you'll see Leicester give up easy runbacks that lead to turnover penalties or big moments that way in this game I think they're going to try and keep Leinster at arm's length as much as possible because they have a game to do that like they have a really good kicking game they have a, a good defensive line out good defensive maul um, it's about can they stay error free and then also pick up the moments they need to actually hurt Leinster and score tries and score points. I'm not sure if they have that yet. So I, that's why we go with Leinster. I think the Leinster will be able to score the points that they need to pull away here. And I think Leicester might have to work a little bit too hard to get those and will run out of time ultimately. So I think Leinster to win this maybe by 10, 15 points. Yep. Uh, so that's three for Leinster for that. Um, moving on then to the uh, the women's Six Nations. Um, another tough day at the office for the Ireland women's team. Finished up uh, Ireland three, France 53, with France down to 14 for nearly an hour, I think it was. Um, 
yeah it wasn't great and, and, this game no like I, I think that nobody could argue or nobody could say for a second that these girls aren't trying their guts out and that they aren't playing as hard as they can out there they give a shit plainly um, the level differences though between France and, and in Ireland at the moment is just it's stark Ireland went down to, or France went down to 14 players um, Ireland looked no more likely to win as a result and I think that all that did was kind of deflate the score a little bit for France who just continued as if nothing had changed um, disappointing I know these girls are trying are, are building something and, and they're, they're like it's a long way off where they need to be I think everybody knows that but it was tough seeing that game go the way that it did especially with the really inflated scoreline at the end that it hurt watching it you know it wasn't something that there was no like there was no enjoyment there you couldn't enjoy good rugby by France or whatever else you just want this kind of period to be out of the way and for this team to be closer to competing like for like against France like they're not even at the point where losing by 10-15 points at the moment is is feasible Um, it's going to be a very tough Six Nations I think that's very clear yeah, we were like we were talking at the start. This is the only game that I saw live and I only saw the second half. And when I saw the scoreline and I saw France had a red card, like because I wasn't even on my phone at the weekend, like when I saw the scoreline and France had a red card, I kind of thought to myself, okay, um, this must I just must have missed that red card. It must have just happened there before half time. But like A, I didn't. But B, watching the second half, it felt like at times France had a player up. Like there was one try they scored in the corner where the winger was outside our last defender. And you're kind of thinking like, again, I haven't watched it back yet or anything like that, but you're kind of wondering to yourself, they scored this off three, four phases. How did they manage to compress Ireland so much narrow that they had space on the outside with the player extra? Um, I think heading towards Italy, what I'd like to see personally is far more continuity in terms of selection. I don't want to like, I like, I don't, I don't know how to say this without sounding like a prick, like, but I don't want to see players brought in just for experience because I don't think players are being selected often enough to gain experience anyway. So I, I don't know if that makes sense, but I'd, I'd just like to see players getting a chance to, to play, surrounded by those who should be kind of selected continuously to allow themselves to see pictures and see what's developing in front of them in order to gain experience and how to deal with it. Like, I think you can say, okay, well, we're, we're building depth here and stuff, but building depth is fine when you already have like a set team that are experienced. Like if you look at, let's say the Irish men's team in their six nations, people were like, Oh, I'd like to see X and Y rested to bring in, I don't know, two other players to build depth. But at the moment, I mean, Sam Monaghan is the most cap player on that pitch and she only has, was it 27 caps or 26, 27 caps. So you're kind of thinking to yourself, well, there's actually not that much experience there in order to build depth for, because they don't have the experience anyway. Like you look at, Dan O'Brien, let's say a 10, she's only played a handful of caps, let's say. You look at, oh, you, you, you look anywhere. Like, I mean, you look at the reliance on, on Jugang there. Like she started every game in last year, Six Nations at Luke said prop, started the first one at, at three, 
and is brought across back against France back to one. And, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of saying, okay, well, the solution to this is to have three tight head props instead of saying, okay, well, listen, we're, we're going to build this depth and we're going to give it time. And that, and that's what it needs. Like, cause if you look at a transitional team, it does take time and it does take them gaining experience and it does take them buying into the framework, but that experience and that kind of learning the framework and learning to employ the framework, despite what's in front of you, that only comes with playing and experiencing it. And that like heading towards Italy, I mean, why, why not just say, okay, we're, we're not going to rotate too much here. I mean, there was a huge rotation there for the, for the last game. Why not just say we're not going to rotate too much here at all and we're we're going to play in and see how we get on here against Italy because, I mean, there's a chance for a win there over in Italy, but I don't think with huge rotation they're playing the percentages or they're playing the odds there, if that makes sense. Absolutely makes I, sense. I think, yeah, I think it does. I think what all they can do from a, a result like that and a, a situation that they're in because of the wider framework within the IRFU and trying to go professional versus what the other teams have done is they can only take the small moments and try and pick from those. So whether that's you pick something like, you know, Dan O'Brien's kicking, what do you take that there was a small improvements in terms of maybe some of the mall defense, even winning. And again, you have to put this up against even France been down to, to 14 for so long, even winning a couple of scrum penalties. You've got to take small little things like that and just try and build it. Look at some of maybe more, a few times that there was some attacking cohesion put together. But they, they've just got to try and work on that with it. There is no quick fix to this situation. There is no silver bullet on this because you're not going to get your sevens players back. Funding, funding decrees that the sevens players are gone and they're missing for this tournament. They are probably some of your better players. They have been on um, professional contracts longer. They, they're they're in a situation whereby they could assist this squad, but for a model within the women's game, it has been decided that you know this is how things have to be, um, for funding purposes, because the sevens game brings in the money that's needed. To, to work this entire thing. It's going to take years. I I think this is a, at minimum, three to a five-year project to get Ireland competitive again. I think we've seen with the other teams, particularly with the likes of Wales and others, you can make big gains in sort of one to two years. But what you've talked about, Jeff, is there needs to be a consistency in approach and you can't just keep chopping and changing because you need a level of cohesion. They're trying to do that by getting the AIL, the top AIL clubs, and only almost choosing from those to try and make and get that cohesion. But they keep chopping and changing so much that it's hard to see how they'll get out, how they'll get a benefit from it. If they can get some sort of consistency, work on the small parts, effectively write off the Six Nations, hope for maybe a win against Italy, be competitive maybe uh, against Scotland, Um. I think that's it. I honestly do. And as we said, it's not about whether the girls themselves are putting in the effort or whatever else. This is purely a time, a timing matter of where the, where they can go in their own development beyond this. And it's going to be several years before I think they are truly competitive 
in the Six Nations. Just just my last point that I'll make, um, just on the idea of building depth and stuff like that and, and building experience. Like if you look at the numbers of players capped in the last nine games, they've capped 20 players in the last nine games, right? But how many of those 20 players have been involved, let's say, in more than four games or more than five games? That's it. Not that many. So it's a, it's a, it's a case of, okay, yeah, we're, we're building depth by, by debuting players and by giving players an opportunity. But I mean, I think an opportunity consists of more than one game, more than two games, if that makes sense. Like it, it, like you said, it just takes time. And I suppose 20 players in nine games kind of shows how many, like, I think that's a huge amount and it shows kind of the, the extent of the, I suppose the infrequency of selection, if that makes sense. 20 players in nine games stinks of 1990s Irish men's team when they were absolutely woeful. And selection was, you, you got a call up and if you didn't perform in that one game, you were gone and never to be picked again. That's yeah, that's I, what it's like. I, I, I don't know if I'd, I'd liken it that much but I because I don't really remember it, to be honest. But I just think it's more... Like if, if you want to build that depth in frequency and selection and not giving consecutive opportunities, that's going to hinder your depth building, regardless of how many players you cap or how many different players you include in one campaign. They're not going to gain experience because it's too infrequent. That's I suppose that's the point I'm trying to make. Fair enough. And we'll, we'll cover the, the Italy game in uh, the preview for that for next week. So we'll round it up there, folks. Thank you very much for listening to our ramblings and for supporting the podcast. Please do rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you listen, as it really helps. Also, be sure to share the podcast on social media. Hope you have a good week, and the three of us will be back next week to chat again. Mm-hmm.